Welcome to No Rain Date, a community podcast about local news and people. No Rain Date is a production of Saucon Source LLC. For more local news and information, please visit SaucinSource.com. Hello, No Rain Date listeners. This is Josh Popichak, the host of No Rain Date and the publisher of Sock and Source, bringing you the headlines for the week of July 17th, 2021. Summer is now more than half over. Hard to believe because it seems like it just began. But summer activities are in full swing in the Saucon Valley and elsewhere. This past week, Crowds came out to enjoy the Dewey Fire Company Carnival in Dimmick Park in Hellertown. And the carnival, I would say, really lucked out with the weather. It was hot and steamy, but for the most part, the rain held off on every night that the carnival was held. It was held five nights from Tuesday through Saturday. On Friday night was the fireworks spectacular, which I understand was very much enjoyed and well attended. The fireworks had been scheduled to start at around 10 p.m. They did begin the show a little bit early because it was threatening to storm at that point. There was thunder and lightning in the area, so they made what was probably a a good decision. However, it did not storm. This was a weekend where the rain sort of seemed to dance all around the Lehigh Valley, but never really came here in the amounts that were predicted. They were talking about three to five inches of rain possible on Saturday, and there was a flash flood watch issued, and I think we maybe got a tenth of an inch of rain or something like that. So there was a lot of hype for the rain, but it didn't live up to it. New at the Dewey Carnival this year were several attractions. Every night was a theme night. So, for example, there was an emergency services night where you could touch the emergency vehicles. There was a bike night and fireworks night, of course. Every night there was a live performance by a local band, which was new. They also had tethered hot air balloon rides, which I thought was pretty cool. I remember those from being a kid and the Christmas City Fair, if anybody out there is old enough to remember that. That was a Bethlehem tradition in mid-July, held on the city fairgrounds underneath the Hill to Hill Bridge, where today Music Fest is held, but this was probably before Music Fest, so early 1980s period. So I hope everybody had a good time at the carnival. Of course, it raises money in support of the fire company so it's an important fundraiser for them and they did not have a carnival in 2020 of course due to the pandemic so i'm sure they were hoping to raise a good amount of money from this year's carnival and hopefully that happened they also held a hosted a beer garden and of course had food sales and so forth speaking of fire companies we reported Sunday on an upcoming matter that will be before Lower Saucon Township Council regarding the future of volunteer fire companies in the township. Currently, there are two, Lower Saucon Fire Rescue, which is the larger of the two because it's the result of 
several mergers that have taken place over the past nine years or so. And the other is Steel City Volunteer Fire Company, which is, of course, in Steel City, which is a neighborhood section of the township that's sort of off on its own. And perhaps the geography has influenced thinking about the future of the fire company. To really understand what's happening now, you have to go back a bit and understand a little bit of the history. I tried to explain this in my story, and I won't go into great detail here because you can read the story and and learn more about it, but essentially there were four volunteer fire companies 10 years ago, Liceville, Seawico, Southeastern, and Steel City. Seawico and Liceville merged in 2012, and then that became what is today Lower Saucon Fire Rescue with the merger of Seawico and Southeastern Fire Company that was finalized in 2019. Since then, there's been movement to try and merge Steel City with Lower Saucon Fire Rescue. That way it would sort of streamline operations within the township to have just one fire company with multiple stations. Certainly since it's already been done, it seems doable. However, there have been some roadblocks that have appeared in the process. Lower Saucon Township Council in 2020 made clear as part of its budget that it wanted this merger to happen during the first half of 2021. It has not happened. The reasons for that are somewhat unclear, but there appears to be resistance on the part of Steel City to the merger, which was approved by Lower Sock and Fire Rescue by a vote in November 2020. As of May, Steel City had still not approved the resolution. They had a list of requirements they wanted Lower Sock and Fire Rescue to agree to before they would pass a resolution authorizing the merger. It's about a dozen requirements. Some of them are for specific individuals to have specific roles within the merged fire company, and others relate to fundraising and the use of the fire station in Steel City and board membership. The members of Steel City who have dwindled in their numbers want at least 33% representation on the board of Lower Saucon Fire Rescue for five years after the merger. They want an operational merger to take place before a full merger, which would happen about one to two years later, and so on and so forth. You get the idea that it's certainly not apparently a popular idea for this merger to go through if there are that many requirements and they are being relayed to the township by Steel City's attorney. Another issue that has apparently arisen is regarding a charitable donation that Steel City made to a fallen officer in New Jersey in 2019. I don't know what the connection is between this individual and Steel City. It's not a name that I was familiar with. And on the surface, I I could not identify any type of connection there but it it raised questions for Township Solicitor Link Treadwell, which he shared in a letter to the attorney for Steel City. 
basically all of this is likely going to come to a head at Wednesday's council meeting at which Lower Sauk and Fire Rescue will give its annual report and council is scheduled to have a discussion about designating Lower Sauk and Fire Rescue as the only provider of fire services in the township. Now this follows their decision at their last June meeting to fully fund Lower Sauk and Fire Rescue's 2021 budget to the tune of $150,000 and not to fund Steel City in 2021. So essentially they've already defunded Steel City and they could put the nail in the coffin of the fire company Steel City so to speak, at Wednesday's meeting. I would expect there to be a large turnout. This is typically something that becomes a very emotional issue when you're talking about police and fire protection. And I've covered issues relating to mergers in the past. I'm not saying that's the case in this case, but it's very common that egos play a role. And there is a uh, battle of perceptions taking place It's everybody's fear that a merger will result in reduced response time, whether it's the police or fire protection. My sources have told me that response time by Steel City is already significantly lower than the response time from Lower Sauk and Fire Rescue, and it's just basic math. They don't have the members to run the trucks in the timely manner that everybody would like. So if residents come to the meeting expressing those concerns, I think they're going to be met with copious amounts of data that support the idea that Steel City is already somewhat dysfunctional in terms of how it responds. And this certainly is nothing against the firefighters of Steel City. It has a long and proud history and We appreciate everything that they've done for the community, their service, and their sacrifice. And I've covered them for many, many years. But ultimately, people have to put aside their own issues and uh, do what's best for the residents of the township. And if they're not willing to do that, that's when township council steps in. And I think that's what we're seeing happen right now. So... If you live in Lower Saucon Township, I would watch this one closely. You can attend the meeting. This is going to be the first fully in-person meeting of Lower Saucon Township Council since the coronavirus pandemic began in March 2020. The meeting will not be online. It will be in Lower Saucon Town Hall only. It begins at 6.30 p.m. And as I said, it's open to the public. There are rules for commenting, and you can familiarize yourself with those by reviewing the Township Council agenda, as well as all the supporting documents. We've included copious links in our story about this issue, and I hope everybody will take the time to read up before they come and make arguments based in knowledge rather than purely on emotion. So that's my comments on that. In terms of traffic, it's summer road work season again, and there is road work that will be impacting traffic on I-78 eastbound in Lower Saucon Township and the city of Bethlehem. 
This will begin on July 20th and continue for several weeks, of course, during Music Fest, too. And it will be primarily Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday during the day. This is for slope repairs, according to PennDOT. There will be a lane closure, so you can expect probably significant backups due to that if you travel that road. This is between the 309 exit and the Route 412 exit. So be aware and consider an alternate route if you will be doing daytime, a weekday, traveling on I-78 eastbound in that area. Route 378 in Bethlehem and Lower Saucon Township is not going to be spared these next few weeks. There will be a gas main work by UGI between Five Points and Puggy Lane, which is at the top of South Mountain. This was also according to PennDOT, and this is also beginning this week. Some of it will be happening during the overnight hours, but some of it will be daytime. So it will sort of be spread out, but if you travel Wyandotte Street, aka 378, regularly, you know it backs up very easily into Bethlehem because it is two lanes there, just not big enough for the amount of traffic that there is. So when it's closed, you can expect lengthy backups. In business news, we covered an exciting announcement from the promenade shops at Saucon Valley. There will be a new clothing store opening there in the near future. The name of it is All Weather Selvedge Denim Company, also known as AW. And that also stands for the name of the owner, Andre Williams, who is a former NFL football player and a former star athlete from Parkland High School right here in the Lehigh Valley. So pretty cool to see that he's a budding entrepreneur. Andre Williams is just in his late 20s and it's nice that he's investing in his hometown area with his new business. Selvedge is a type of jean that I was not familiar with, but it's a specialty type of apparel that's made from denim. And it's not your, you know, run-of-the-mill denim, so you can expect to pay probably upwards of 100 to $150 for a pair of these jeans. I looked at some of them on his website. That will be opening, I believe, later this summer. So look for that at the Promenade. Going back to events, this week is Restaurant Week in Hellertown and Lower Saucon. Summer Restaurant Week, to be specific. And there are 17 participating establishments who are offering special deals to patrons through this Saturday, July 24th. You can find the complete list of restaurants with links to their deals in our story about Restaurant Week. Of course, Restaurant Week is put together by the Hellertown Lower Saucon Chamber. There's also a Winter Restaurant Week that's held in January. We at Saucon Source are proud to be a regular sponsor of this event. We are a silver sponsor of the Summer Restaurant Week because we love our local restaurants and we hope you do too. We hope you'll head out and support them. There's never a better time to try a new restaurant because, like I said, they are offering various types of savings, various types of deals. Some are takeout, some are a percentage discount on a meal, some are pre-fix type deals where you get 
a choice of starter, entree, and dessert for a set price, but it's a limited menu. In the past, that was the most common type of deal, but post-COVID, restaurants are freer to offer different things, and, and they have to do what makes sense, of course, for their business model, too. And not every participating establishment is a restaurant per se. For example, Lost Tavern Brewing is offering a discount. They brew beer, so you can even save on uh, libations as part of this special event. And I would encourage everybody to check out the deals, make a plan for where you're going to go, consider making a reservation if that's something that is recommended. Many of the restaurants, of course, offer outdoor dining, but you'll want to check on that and plan accordingly. Of course, we have to consider the weather too, but I'm looking forward to visiting as many of these places as I can and enjoying great food and great savings at the same time. Speaking of food, our writer Johnny Hart and producer has an article about new food stands that will be at Music Fest in 2021, and that's exciting. It's a very comprehensive look at some of the places that you can expect to find, including Pat's Pizza, Rendezvous, Simply Skewered, Cubano Express, The Bagel Bus, Dinky's Ice Cream Company, Philly Waffle Cabin, Le Petit Macaron, and palate and pour. Now, there may be other additions coming. We'll certainly talk about this when we interview Patrick Brogan, Chief Programming Officer for ArtsQuest, and Nicole Harrell, Director of Communications for ArtsQuest, about what's new at Music Fest in 2021. That's coming up on next week's episode of No Rain Date. So I know you'll want to listen to that because we won't just be talking about food, we'll be talking about, of course, all the music and other attractions. Music Fest has grown to be so much, and it's still an expression of community, of course, in Lehigh Valley. So we're really excited, especially after 2020 and the Music Fest that had to be online, to talk about an in-person Music Fest and get the lowdown from them. Finally, back to food again, we have a poll just for fun and to support our local businesses. Who has the best Italian food in Saucon Valley and Southern Lehigh? We encourage you to vote in it. There are about 15 restaurants listed. In order to be listed, the restaurant has to focus on Italian food and not just pizza, although they can serve pizza, of course. So we're very curious to see what the results of that are, and that will be running all week. You can vote in it and sign up for our newsletter at the same time, and then you'll never miss another story or another poll. We've already done the best Chinese food and the best pizza. It was the best Chinese food in Saucon Valley and best pizza in Southern Lehigh. We'll continue to offer these as long as people are interested in them, I think you can learn something from them, and and I'm learning about the restaurants, so that's nice to do. And that's our roundup for the week of July 17, 2021. Thanks for joining us, and have a great week. Here at Sock and Source, our mission is to provide information and make it as available as possible to the people in our community. 
a large part of that is a public service and we're grateful for the support we have from local advertisers because that revenue helps keep the information flowing to you, our readers and listeners. Local news production does cost money and that's why we've also introduced a voluntary membership option on Sockin Source and we'd like to tell you a little more about that. Essentially the membership is a recurring monthly contribution that shows your support for the work that we're doing. It helps guarantee that the information will remain free and accessible to you as well as to others in our community and it also helps fund our future growth. Sock and Source is growing and we're expanding our coverage area. The more support we receive from the community, the better coverage we can provide and the more useful the site will be to you. So that's why we would invite you to visit our membership page on the website sockandsource.com. You can do that by clicking on join under my sock and source which you'll see on the right side of your screen if you're on a desktop or at the bottom of any article page. You'll see several membership options including a monthly membership for $7, a four-month membership for $25, or a yearly membership for $70. These are strictly voluntary contribution levels and they're not any part of a paywall. There's no requirement to contribute, but we are grateful for those who have already done so and we hope that you will consider purchasing a membership in the future. Doing so is quick and easy. You can do it securely online and you can cancel at any time. Thank you again to all our current members and thank you for considering becoming a future member. This week on No Rain Date, I'm pleased to welcome two special guests from the local world of art and from Bethlehem specifically, Lindsay Janse, who is the Director of Collections and Programming for Historic Bethlehem, and Cuba Fernandez, who is co-founder of San Rico Film and Music LLC. He's a director, producer, and many other things, and he is part of the Historic Bethlehem's Design After Dark series, and we're going to learn a little bit more about what his special event is all about. But Lindsay, I wanted to start off with you. Can you tell us first a little bit about Historic Bethlehem and then Design After Dark specifically and and what the concept is for it? Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Historic Bethlehem Museums and Sites is a history organization that cares for multiple museums, historic buildings, landmark spaces here in Bethlehem. So we actually care for 20 buildings across 20 acres of land. It's a it's a wide sweep. Mm-hmm. And part of that too is that we are multiple organizations that came together. And so we have a collection of over 60,000 artifacts that range from bohemian glass to large farm equipment. I mean, it is Hmm. something different every day, but we create programs, exhibits, and events that help to share the history of Bethlehem and to engage people today in celebrating their stories and culture. And so Design After Dark really comes out of that mission of, of telling people stories and connecting to people today and how they see and document themselves. So we started back in 2019, and most of what we were trying to answer was, what does the Kemmerer Museum of Decorative Arts specifically look like on a Friday night during happy hour? (laughs) (laughs) Like, what what does this museum look like during that time? Because 
We are very well known for our dollhouse collection, our antique furniture, maybe not things that you would think you know, you're going to go experience and enjoy with a mimosa in hand. So we invited people to come in and really reimagine the space. And as a result, we had art nights. We had a pop-up arcade, which I love to say is like 1880s meets 1980s. Right. It was a great mashup. And comedy nights, trivia nights, things like that. And what we found was that it really helped people to see themselves in the museum space and their community and identities reflected there. And that's so important because really 98% of the collection at Historic Bethlehem is donated by the community. It's built by the community. And so we need people to be able to see themselves in that space in order to entrust us with with their their history. And we loved the impact of that program. We saw new audience. We saw new people walk through the space. And to go then into 2020, where we weren't able to have those in-person events any longer, we really needed to take a beat and, and think about what does Design After Dark look like now. And so in that process, we decided to launch in 2021 Design After Dark Community Curated, which takes that idea and just pushes it a little bit further and says, okay, we've we've brought people into the space, but they were still very much kind of working under a little more direction or auspice of our curatorial staff. And so what if we hand over the reins to a degree and we say, here's a general prompt, tell us what this means to you and let's really push the boundaries. And as a result, I mean, we just had a skate park at one of our historic sites, which I think is definitely a first, rap performances, and you know, you get these really magical moments. So with the skate park in particular, we had skateboarders doing these tricks with a huge (laughs) historic building in the background and the train rolling through. And it just gives you a different sense of space Mm -hmm. and what we're building together. And so of course our next event is Third Culture Child with Cuba. And we have everything from film series to pop-up exhibits to all kinds of things. I mean, we are just so thrilled about this series of programs and what it what it really can mean for Historic Bethlehem and, and the people that we partner with. Yeah. Oh, I think that's a great introduction to, <laughs> to what you, you have. And before we started recording, I mentioned that when I was a teenager, I volunteered at the Kemmerer Museum yeah. of Decorative Arts. <laughs> And just the contrast between, you know, what is going on now, which I see as building on, you know, what they already had. It's not replacing mm-hmm. it. I think that's fantastic because it, I mean, museums are, are only relevant if they are, you know, living, breathing, you know, institutions. And you have to innovate, you know, in order to remain relevant. So I can totally understand the the need to, you know, have something like Design After Dark. But 25 years ago, I don't know if it would have been possible. I think it would have been a little more controversial, maybe. <laughs> Perhaps, yeah. And I think uh, the the way that we're able to kind of build upon things, we were able to take a starting place and, and slowly kind of layer. And mm-hmm. I think that Design After Dark community curated is a layer upon what we were able to do in 2019. And that's a layer upon what we've been able to do in lecture series. And so we, we build, right? And I think that that's a, that's a great way to make sure that we're always moving forward and that we're not looking backwards. Things in a, in a way that doesn't connect us to 
our, our current experiences and, and how we navigate the world. Right. And also, I mean, I'm thinking of, you know, just the fact that art itself is, you know, built upon the work of previous generations. You know, I could be a mixed media artist and I go into the Kemmer Museum and I see like the William Morris wallpaper or whatever. And then, you know, that a light bulb goes off in my head and I, you know, somehow that inspires me to do something as a creator today, you know. Mm And so hopefully that's, that's part of the process and, and those people are, are coming in there. You're getting more people in there, though, through Design After Dark, and that's, that's a, a big deal. Yeah, I mean, you're right. First of all, the William Morris wallpaper is still there. <laughs> so uh, one of my favorite things it to talk about, actually. made a big impression on, on me, I guess. Yeah, it's, a, it's stunning. Um, but also that there's inspiration to be had in that space and that we activate those pieces when we engage with them. I often say that objects are nothing without the people's stories that they're associated with, Mm. that they help us to tell. They're nothing without our own interpretations and what we bring to our interactions with them. And so, yeah, you're you're right on with that. And I compliment your memory, too. (laughs) (laughs) That, and I was learned very quickly that they're not grandfather clocks, they're tall case clocks. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Good. (laughs) But but yes, I'm digressing here. Cuba, I want to switch over to you and and talk a little bit. Why? I was so intrigued. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I always have a a great time hearing, you know, people in the community and, and what, what, what their passions are but sorry yeah so no no you grew up in Bethlehem yeah what were some of your artistic influences growing up and how did that you know lead you to where you are today so I grew up in South Bethlehem I'm a South I'm a South Side boy like like most of us like to call ourselves (laughs) (laughs) you know I grew up in an environment where, you know, we all we didn't have much, you know, and, and most of the people in my neighborhood didn't have much, but we had dreams and aspirations, and, and so a lot of times you look to the art that kind of portrays that, you know, and obviously that, that's where the, the birth of hip-hop came from, you know, it's like, you know, we have a story to tell too, you know, uh, pe- people in, in urban communities, and so hip-hop was a huge fact, you know, a huge thing in my life that inspired me. I had cousins in Puerto Rico that would come for the summer and they would show me this you know they would, they'd have these old cassette tapes you know and they would show me this music and say look uh, it's called underground music and i'm like oh okay and they they pop it in the deck and the beats were different it was very reggae based and you know what we know today is, is called a dembo it's which later on evolved to be reggaeton, which is a huge hmm. international uh, genre. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was crazy growing up and just hearing it when it was in its infancy. Right. So hip-hop, reggaeton, you know, my, my dad was from Cuba. My mom from Puerto Rico. So, you know, I got the salsa. I got the merengue and the bachatas now that I, I work with a lot of Dominicans. But growing up, it was just a blend of, of things. The beautiful thing was my, my mother at eight years old was like I think I think you're meant to be in the arts you know she she kind of like saw it we would do some activities at at our local church and and she saw that I kind of really enjoyed it so she got me into programs like the banana factory PYT um, before it was before it was at banana factory they were up near near Main Street Bethlehem like Broad Street area but by mixing my environment with doing plays and and theater 
I just like my mind would not would not stop racing in the sense of like like there's no limit to what I can create whether it's music or whether it's a story you know and because of that I think I was always fascinated with film Mm-hmm. So, you know, my dad was a, a guy who he loved the movie theaters. He would love to take take me to, to the theaters, my brother and I. And so, you know, all those things really inspired me to keep it short. <laughs> keep a long story long, you know. That. <laughs> but that's that's kind of like what, what defines me as far as like, you know, growing up, what, what made me who I am today. Mm-hmm. That's That's awesome. So it sounds like your family really encouraged you in the arts and certainly you know that's that's something that i applaud your upcoming event is called third culture child yes and first i want to we talked about how you know that term has different definitions can you describe what your definition is of that and then how how that's going to manifest itself in the event so you know when i speak to friends or family that are still in that environment that I grew up in they don't even they don't even realize right they don't even notice sort of like it's in the it's in the back of their heads and we're just kind of like living our lives but because I would leave my area go into the into like theater you know where it was all all kinds of different races and faces and people from south side north side you know east side west side I started to realize how different I was. And that's when it really started to, you know, really affect me in the sense of finding identity. And what I mean by that is when I'm with Americans, typically, I'm going to say, I'm going to use the word Americans. When I'm with Americans, typically the, you know, they view me as Hispanic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Hispanic. But when I'm with true Hispanics from from you know their native country like Cuba, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, I'm American, hmm, right? You know because when I speak, I have my American accent. My Spanish may not be as as perfect, you know. So I always grew up with this this in between, you know. And that's to me that was like this third culture, you know, mm-hmm. where I had to mix two cultures to create mine. And one day I can eat rice and beans, and tomorrow I'm eating a cheeseburger with fries, you know. And that's how I grew up. And being Cuban and Puerto Rican was even worse because I remember eating black beans one day and I had friends who were Puerto Rican like, oh, black beans, what's that? You eat black beans? And let me tell you, I didn't even know I was different until they said that. You Hmm. know, I I thought it was strange that they were even commenting on, I'm like, it's beans. Don't you eat black beans? Like, doesn't everyone eat black beans? You know, because I didn't know how different I was. So as I got older, I really started to to see how different I was and the struggles that I had with, with both being, being an American and, and having, you know, uh, being from, from Latino descent, you know, and making sure my father didn't speak a lick of English. It was all Spanish. You know, my mom was bilingual, you know, so I had to speak with him and having that pressure of knowing one's, one's language and when you're with family and it just got to the point where I never spoke about these things. I never talked about it with anyone. I can always tell a third culture child when I'm with them and we're laughing at the same jokes and we're, we're speaking Spanglish, you know, like I can, I can always tell they're just like me and we went through the same things, but I never spoke about it. And this was the first time when, when Lindsay, we had a great time working, working in, in, uh, on the first program and 
at that at that point it was there was a film about Carmen Herrera right mm-hmm. and her art and so to me it was more about okay let's let's talk about Latino art you know and so I brought in some some amazing Hispanics in the community that I felt some did music some did paintings you know and spoken word and I realized you know it's not it's not the full story we're mm-hmm. not we're not just Hispanic we're Hispanic Americans you know and when she came back to me again and she and and she told me okay choose a theme that's based on this quote and, and what was the quote design teaches us not to make assumptions yes Which I love that yeah. it's so powerful <laughs> right yeah. right I mean honestly the moment I read that the only thing I can think of was this piece of me that I never spoke about so I told her you know this is this is the topic this is what I would like to discuss and you know I knew that you couldn't just do this topic with you know adhering to one sense so I was like I want to see something I want to hear something I want to taste something so that people can understand like what it's like to live in in this third culture and per se and so I was luckily enough to partner with Lindsay and find some amazing talent that I really feel can identify and express themselves the way that I feel on this topic. And I would have conversations with these artists. And it was funny. It was like the moment I brought up this topic and Lindsay was on one of the phone calls, you know, it was like, I never thought about it. I had all these things growing up and not, you know, and I was like, I know it's something that we deal with and we just don't don't discuss. And I just feel like this would be the perfect time to do that. And art is the perfect way so that other people can feel what we feel, you know. And I just love what the Kemmerer Museum is doing in general because mm-hmm. of of what when when we think of Bethlehem, what does that mean, right? And when we when we think of it 20 years from now, what does that mean? And when she says, well, then the community is a huge part of this. Like these, like what she just said, the pieces that they have there. What does it mean if if not for the person who owned it or 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 those things and and so so I'm I'm really grateful to do this. I'm just gonna tell you a list of real quick the talent that's gonna be there. Yes, please. They can probably promote themselves better than I could. <laughs> but I have Devin Briggs who's just we, we had a great conversation mm-hmm. with her and she is an amazing amazing artist and just from seeing her work. I already knew that there was a mixture of culture really, you know, when it came to inspiration, that the mixture of culture was really a huge aspect of it. So when we spoke with her and she said she was willing to do this, I got really excited. As well as with Monica Salazar, Lindsay had a great conversation with her. They both will be bringing the visual aspect to this event, you know, seeing pieces of art that that kind of reflect that you know what it means to be a third culture you know Mm -hmm. a third culture child and how it affects our our art then i have the pleasure of bringing on board Alyssa garcia who is she's actually an award-winning songwriter and pianist and she also has an alternative pop sound and so every time i ran into this artist she just really blew me away with with her songwriting and i just you know, I knew she was from, you know, I knew that she hasn't, you know, she's American, but she's clearly, she's Filipina. So I was just, you know, we had great conversations with her and it was the same thing. 
she was like, oh my goodness, trying to learn my language and, uh, my, you know, from where my parents are from. And when I go there, they just look at me like I'm American. But when I'm here, right away, everyone's like, I'm Asian, you know. And so she, she has a, a story to tell on this topic as well. And I'm so excited to, to, to hear what she composes for it. Luli, I had the pleasure of working with her before on the, on the first event. And she is an amazing spoken word poet. I mean, when she, when she does her thing, you know, you're, you're, you're not doing anything else but listening. But she's also, she's also a songwriter and also, and also does music. So she'll be doing a collaborate, you know, like um, she'll be mixing, mixing the arts of, you know, going from spoken word and, and then maybe doing something off of a beat. You know, so I'm really excited. And then I'm going to have these little uh, little treats as well so that people can kind of enjoy things such as, you know, a lot of people tell me, oh, Cuban Cuban sandwiches are, are Cuban, you know? Even I know that's yeah, not true. Yeah, so they're not, it's not true. <laughs> Correct. They're, these are Hispanic American cuisines that are popular. And I just felt like I want to have some of things like that so you understand us, you know, you understand us in that sense as well, like how we combined our cultures and created even even different kinds of food so yeah that's sort of the journey that i'll be taking everybody on and and honestly Lindsay doesn't know this either but i'm going to be sharing some stuff as well i really felt i had to show people music like how i discovered what i did musically and it was a combination of you know the hip-hop and the salsa and the reggaeton and all those things so i'm going to dive into a little bit of you know what made me who i am and 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 the journey Mm -hmm. Uh, into that so it sounds fascinating and and i would love to to attend i'm also i'm also interested in in just you know in a place like bethlehem you have different cultures between the north side and south side Mm -hmm. you know even like i mean i i grew up on the south side till i was like 13 14 and then i lived on the north side and there was a big cultural difference exposed in making that move so certainly that's a different kind of cultural division but but i can i can relate in a way just from being split across the river and and that river is is it it's a geographic boundary but i think it's also you know in people's minds too maybe less so today but yeah growing when i was growing up it was a huge right like you know, I'm just going to say it. Sometimes I, I, I would need a ride home, you know, when I was in high school and they wouldn't drop me off mm. past the bridge. Yeah, it was like, well, drop, you know, we'll leave you at the bridge. But yeah, yeah, just from, the, just from how different it was back then to, to now, you know, the Sands Casino helped a lot with that. But right. but also programs like what Lindsay's doing, you know, I think it's so important to work work with and contribute to our local cultural organizations because of that, you know, let them know you know who I am and and that I do have a voice and that we're the same in a lot of ways and and letting letting the community letting people outside of our community you know learn about it too to see you know so that we can all get together you know in in a kumbaya no but like you know but you know what I mean and I and I'm seeing that now I'm really seeing that now especially with programs like design after dark if you are someone who identifies as a third culture child and or grew up as a third culture child, do you think that you are always looking for a sense of belonging, kind of? Or you're nailing one of the one of the feelings all of our artists shared when I spoke with them. So that's why the, these artists were really important for me, 
and I was really hoping they'd all say yes and they all mm-hmm. did and I was really grateful because that was a huge piece of what I felt you know and being a director of film I have a company called San Rico that I partnered up with Brian Sanchez to create because we both had the passions for film stage and music and in everything that we do you get the right team right the right team to to accomplish one goal or one vision right and so I was already used to expressing myself by working with other with others and getting their perspective on things so when when I was asked to to do this I was like if I can find artists that I that can really express those things that you know I, I spoke to you a little bit earlier I'm like I'm not you know I don't articulate well like it's just not it's just not who I am like I, I express myself differently but right. even in art I might be focused on one aspect of it when you work with another person they're doing something else and you're like I I relate to that too and I just I didn't realize I did until I heard it or I felt it or I saw it and so you know I always had that that sense of, of trying to feel, feel like where do I belong you know when I'm with like, and I said it before when I'm with his, you know, when I'm with Latinos, you know, I'm, I'm American, you know, mm-hmm. or pe- or or Hispanics, uh, I'm I'm American, and when I'm with, and I'm when I'm with Americans, they they view me they view me differently. You don't realize it until you're in schools. It's mo- you know, and obviously it's always mostly when you're in school, you know, growing up. That's when it affects you, you know. Oh, you oh you're a Southside boy, and oh you you know you're. Spanish and you speak English and I'm, yeah I speak it so it's like a, a shock you know I had moments like that there's just a, a bunch of things that I had to deal with and and we're gonna go over at, in the event we're gonna really dive deep into serious things that that of, of finding finding if you know where we belong yeah and well you you had mentioned that your dad at least at that time didn't speak English you know I can remember being a kid and you know, being in school and other kids, they had to translate for their parents. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, that's probably a good example of something yeah. a third culture Absolutely. child has to do. And that's a lot of responsibility uh, at a young age. And I'm sure it yeah. affects you. Um, like, you're, you're nailing many of the points that these artists are, gonna, are going to tackle. I don't want to give it all away. Though. Uh, <laughs> no, but, but, you know, I won't say who, but... but one of the four mentioned that about the responsibility yeah you know that you have and yeah and i think we all we all feel that if if your parents if you're second gen you know like you your parents don't speak don't speak english like you're you're in charge of that and i see it more and more now with the immigrants now especially depending on your your culture like depending if you came from cuba puerto rico or dominican republic I notice certain cultures are very like, okay, you're my son and you're the only one that speaks English. You have to handle this. And I see them making the phone calls for the bills. And, you know, we're talking about 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds, you know, having to having to do that. And obviously when you're a kid, you don't think about it. Mm-hmm. But as you get older, those pressures, they all start piling up and you start feeling it, you know, a little bit later in life. Right, right. That's, well, life only is only getting more complicated every year, you know, and, and especially when you talk about financial matters too. I mean, that's something that hopefully, you know, we don't have to worry about till we're adult age, but, but yeah, it's, it's a reality that not everybody has that luxury. Lindsay, I want to switch back to you a little bit and sure. I know it's probably a, a little bit like beating a dead horse, but I do want to touch on COVID-19 and, 
certainly how that impacted Historic Bethlehem and this series specifically because Design After Dark, as you said, began in 2019 and then you sort of had to go on hiatus, right? Yeah, I mean, Design After Dark was very geared towards in-person experiences, activating spaces and collections and objects. But I think that one thing that Kuba got to in, in what he was just speaking about is something that came to the surface for many small cultural organizations, and that was that regardless of where it happens or how it happens, we can build things together. Mm-hmm. And they're always going to be better that way, right? right. If we can yes. get more people to be part of the conversation and to engage. And so, you know, we're talking about that that process of building on something too. One thing that we did that felt minor, really, was we started publishing on social media these photographs. And I have learned a lot about Bethlehem and it's it's early imagery but there are many times where I do not know what something is and that's hard for you know a historian to say right to put something out there to our community and say I don't know what this is who can help me but what we (laughs) found was that we got answers that weren't like anything we could have put together right like it's not just here this is a business that started on this state and ended on this state and they you know, sold X, Y, and Z, and it was run by this person. No, it was my grandmother took me there when I was a kid, and this is, you know, uh, meaningful to me because of X, Y, and Z. And so we saw that when we could open it up, even if we weren't having that in-person experience, Mm -hmm. we were able to really enrich the stories that we were telling and and how we do that. And so then we start capturing that information, right? Right. How do we document that? How do we make sure that this is something that has longevity? And I think that all of that informed our our approach to Design After Dark in 2021 and really helped us to say, we've got a community that's hungry for history. They're looking to see themselves in the work that we're putting out out of the museum spaces. And so it's limitless like you said and so when when we took that kind of approach and and placed it into an existing kind of template with design after dark i think that it it grew in a really meaningful way and so i'd say that is one of the biggest influences the other thing is we got platforms and different ways to improve the access that people have to the materials or what we're doing so we work with mobile guides now where you can walk around the city and just tap into listening to stories about spaces and it just again kind of activates the spaces around us in a way that people are so familiar with we're we're so familiar with our phones in our hands right Mm -hmm. we prior to that we're using walking audio devices so very different and so being able to do that helped us to make things more accessible we can do language translation we can do image assistance, so we can provide image descriptions, and that then opens up a whole world of access too. And so I think that this is a really exciting and rich time for our organization to be able to expand our reach and to, in that, help people see the, the value and the impact of, of an organization like Historic Bethlehem. Yeah. Yeah, I love I love what you what you described about the social media posts, yeah. and I mean that to me really defines you know a silver lining or a positive outcome of COVID because 
you know, those people may have never told those stories otherwise. They had the time and you were, you know, sort of triggering, you know, them with, with those shares. And that's really valuable, you know, for them and for the community. So it's nice to hear that that, that was taking place. And yeah, Bethlehem has such a diverse history, such a rich history. It's encouraging to understand that people are working together in, you know, preserving, not only preserving it, but appreciating it and, and enriching other people's lives through sharing it. Can you talk a little bit more about the community curated series and, and what else is planned and who's yeah. going to be participating in it? Yeah, absolutely. So. Design After Dark Community Curated, we are asking everybody to respond to this quote, design teaches us not to make assumptions. That's a quote by Sylvia Harris, who was really this leading mind in understanding the social impact of design. So whether it was wayfinding or materials to help people vote or understand how to vote, like it was it was very much design is tied into how we build our community and how we navigate it. And so asking people to respond to that. We reached out to 10 curators and some of the upcoming ones that we have in the works after Kuba's event, we are working with two artists from Touchstone who are doing, they're actually showing a screening of another project that they're doing called Water Dances. Mm. And Adam and Sean are working on really talking about water access within our city Mm. and how people engage with water in in development really it's going to be incredibly impactful screening i know it'll be an impactful performance as well and then after that we're working with priscilla sosnowski yeah Yeah, Uh, yeah. and she is doing a jazz night at the lukenbach mill Hmm. and that's a a contact that kuba brought in for us (laughs) yes yes i i work with priscilla on a lot of live events with her company encore live entertainment Mm -hmm. And I can't wait for that too. Yeah, she's yeah. bringing in some really cool people. Yeah. Spicing up the Luke and Bach Mill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we have Raw Culture with Robbie Matthews, which is really about her experience in Kenya and mm-hmm. and kind of bringing that back to Bethlehem and sharing it with our community through tastings, mm-hmm. through photo exhibit, through her artwork as well. She's an art therapist. So we have a wide range of things coming up, and we're really excited about it. After that, we have Shweta, who is from SJ Interiors, and she's really kind of in this, like, throwback to those early days at the Kemmer. She's talking about the assumptions that we make when we're doing interior design. So taking that kind of, yes, we're talking about how we design the inside of spaces, and that might feel really familiar to historic Bethlehem, right, in the Mm -hmm. Kemmer Museum, but she's really unpacking like what do we think we can and can't do and why do we come into spaces with these rules and so i'm i'm just thrilled i think the that rules. yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah those rules um and so i'm i'm really thrilled with how all of these experiences are really built around people's perspectives and what they bring to any space and it's about sharing and and connecting and conversation i think the thing that's so awesome about the programs that Kuba's done is that everything that you do is about starting a conversation. Correct. Like uh, thinking about events as, as conversations and exchanges, I think changes 
expectations when you come into a museum space instead of just feeling like you know you're here to receive information no we're here to talk let's have a conversation and let's connect and and understand our our surroundings in a new and different way Mm -hmm. and so that's something i really appreciate and that's the importance of having the different aspects of art Mm -hmm. right so that it does create that vibe so that people start that conversation because something has to resonate with you for you to for you you know for you know for you to even talk about it so it might not be with the food it might not Mm -hmm. be with the painting but it might be with the music or it might not be the music it might be the food you know so that's why um, I love that she allows different aspects of art and all of the programs Mm -hmm. you know to begin conversation so that's why I was really in love with with what she was doing because it's it's something huge in everything that I do Mm -hmm. right right I just yeah I just love the idea of the the nonconformity of it I guess you know because <laughs> exactly right, right growing right. up I mean I also grew up Moravian so I was very you know in touch with the Moravian history of Bethlehem and and of course that's fascinating and and everything but you know the the predominant image that you would see in like marketing or something would be like people in colonial garb <laughs> yeah. sort of yeah. like posed standing yeah. in front of like the tannery or something mm-hmm. almost like statues and and you know i mean i guess there's a place for that and and maybe you know in some place like colonial williamsburg where like mm-hmm. the emphasis is like on you know being perfectly you know historically accurate but but yeah. i don't think bethlehem needs to be that way and you're you're showing why well and i think that we get closer to a true and accurate depiction and understanding when we look for nuance, mm-hmm. when we look for not the pristine, just here's here's how we're going to tell this story. Because when you start to actually talk about Moravian history, too, you're, you have a lot to to build upon when you come to nonconformity. I mean, <laughs> I'm not right. going to get into it, but, you know, one of the earliest Protestant denominations, there's a lot of nonconformity there, right? Right. And so I think that it's about unpacking that kind of perception that there's this pristine kind of boxed in story that we're telling and really saying no this is this is nuanced this is detailed and intricate and sometimes a little weird and like that's a good thing that's more of a reflection (laughs) of our lives i'm all about like contrast right like Mm -hmm. if, Mm -hmm. if i'm listening to something or watching something and i love that i can be at zest you know eating you know eating a steak but the steel stacks are behind me you right. know and i can still see my neighborhood from you know from south side you know and i just love contrast and i love that 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 the lehigh valley is it, you know like mm-hmm. we're not like you said we're not just conformed to whatever we want people to look at us as you know so yeah <laughs> yeah i think i mean and just thinking about the camera museum itself i mean it was never really conformist because every room is a different period. Yeah. <laughs> and Annie Kemmerer was a very eclectic collector. She was. And, and, you know, I think she would be honored in a way that you're embracing this philosophy. And, and you know, in her time, she was probably considered an oddball because she, you know, was just buying whatever she liked. And, and yeah. so why not take it another step, you know, mm-hmm. or multiple steps which is what you're doing well and that's that you know is what i always say is most interesting about annie kemmer's collection specifically and and the museum is kind of established with the foundation of what she collected in her Mm -hmm. lifetime she collected what she liked there weren't necessarily rules but because of that 
we wind up with a better story, right? Mm -hmm. Like we get the, what I, we call them, they are these artifacts that you would carry with you. They wouldn't necessarily be the most important, the most historically significant, but they are the ones that tend to have the wear of how we interact with them more. So like Mm -hmm. the glasses you wear, a pen that you kept in your pocket, and these things are called personal artifacts when we classify them. But that that is what she held on to and what right. felt important and to say, okay, yeah, if we, you know, fuck the tradition and, and the rules, then maybe we can we can see something that's that's really unique and day to day and, and celebrates that because that's a lot of what we I have to that. celebrate now. I that's what we've got. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a, a lot of the art that I'm working on, a lot of the, the the film projects are about stepping back and looking at the now, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and like really understanding how we got here and not worried about where we're going. Like, like we all tend to do, you know, we're always just, okay, you know, I'm doing this. I'm in college because then I'm going to be a doctor. And then after that, mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, whatever. But like stepping back and just saying like appreciating the now and seeing the now. And once you put your mind to that perspective you just start seeing things differently you Mm -hmm. know and so i love that i love Mm -hmm. that it's like who this pen like this pen you're fine like you know like i always have this pen with me so when you were saying that i'm like there's my personal artifact that's your personal artifact yeah Yeah, those small moments or or things are powerful Mm -hmm. when we let them be right yeah 20 years from now if i see this pen (laughs) it's not just a pen it's like wow! I remember that we used to be in my. Po- I had so I was at the podcast. I was promoting, and you know it's gonna it's gonna really mean something to me. Mm-hmm. And um, for that to be documented, mm-hmm. that's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and just the fact that I mean, just the meaning of objects has changed so much mm-hmm. because we live in a digital world. Today. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we're not going to have an object in Annie Kemmer's time just meant something different than mm-hmm. it does today, and it'll be different 30 years from now like you said we're li- living our lives increasingly you know in cyberspace so mm-hmm. you know what will those what will preservation look like it's it's hard to say it's impossible to say i guess but yeah i mean there are there are digital archivists hard at work now <laughs> oh I yes mean, I'm sure. absolutely as as media is their mediums go kind of defunct and how do we access this and, and keep it right so yeah it'll it'll forever be be the, <laughs> the challenge and struggle but yeah how do we tell stories moving forward without the object too yeah mm-hmm. yeah well well that's why i appreciate i also work with the hispanic chamber of commerce you know i'm grateful to be the vice chair right now and there's a phenomenal team over there of people trying to figure out you know who we are nowadays right like bridging that inter intergenerational gap right yeah. and and combining these things to you know what what does it mean to be a business owner right now what does it mean to be a hispanic business owner and and all those and all those things and yeah like 20 years from now what does it mean you know and you have to be on the ball with it with those things and but there's an amazing team over there always doing events as well and doing things with the community mm-hmm. and always trying to you know always trying to make sure that we understand the community in that aspect i have to do this plug we're, we're doing a, a gala in october uh, september october the theme is brazil right mm-hmm. 
but I just love how they, they approach everything. You know, we talk and, and our committee and our board is different culture. You know, we're all from different different backgrounds. Some are like me, third culture child. Some are literally, you know, the, the immigrant from their from their country. So these events are very, even though the theme is Brazil, it's very, it's very mixed as far as how the entertainment will be, you know. So mm -hmm. I'm really excited. Like I said, the team over there is just phenomenal. I would hate to give out shout outs because they're, they're all good and I would hate to miss mm -hmm. one person. But right. that's why I'm here because I, um, you reached out, you reached out to us there. So I had to make sure that I mentioned them. But yeah, I'm, I'm I see all the work that everyone's doing, you know, and that's why I'm proud to be in the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce as well, because they are worried about the same things. Like, what the, what, what does it mean to be a business owner 20 years from now when everything is changing, you know? And the only way to do that is to bridge that, is to bridge that gap, you know, and, and to start the communication mm -hmm. um, within, within the, the older generation and the new generation on the board. You know, it's always fun conversations. Because it's, it's really different. <laughs> like, yeah. It's really different. But they're great because uh, they might have never had those conversations if they weren't on the board. You know, We might have never spoken to a person from that, from that generation and learned what was important to them. Like you were saying, you know, what object really mattered to them where to us we're like, hey, that's not really relevant anymore, you know, and yeah. we should really go this route. But at the same time, from their experience, they're like, if we do that, it's not going to work. It's going <laughs> to... So you have to learn to communicate with each other where it comes to experience and then and then new ideas. But um, We should have, I mean, we had show and tell when we were little kids. Yeah. We yeah. have that as an adult, you know, as adults, like, and I think it would be a great conversation, you know, a dialogue opener, you know, to have something like that. Especially, like, if we had... I mean, I'm in the Hellertown, Lower Saucon Chamber of Commerce, but yeah. that's like sort of like my bubble, you yeah. know. And and I would love to branch out let's, and like, let's talk, man. Let's you know, talk. You're <laughs> visit, you know, per participate in another chamber's yeah. event or you know, experience because there are like how many of them too? I yeah. mean, there's it's a huge organization. We we all get caught up in our own little little world within it, but there's a lot to learn. Listen. From, it, it all goes back to you know what we were saying before you know let's say we did we did do something together it all i'm looking for at least is conversation mm -hmm. right and yeah. that's the only way to start it you know and and by doing events like i said you know they're they're i consider events art you know because it's yeah, like you know totally. you, yeah. you know so it's like that's an that's a that that's an art and that that will spark conversation so yeah we should talk about that as well so. yeah definitely <laughs> i want to learn more about the the gala and you know what, yeah. what's planned for that that sounds sounds fascinating as far as uh, design after dark can either or both of you tell tell our listeners sort of like well maybe cuba you can tell them how they can register for your event and then beyond that you know L Lindsay and i <laughs> we we always joke around because I'm definitely an artist at heart. Like I worry about the art, and then sometimes I forget about the rest. Right. Well, so I can tell you yeah, the logic. Yeah. yeah. So, so we'll have Lindsay She's that way. Your, uh, I, that way, I'm not like, yeah, just sign up over here, and it's like, no, Google, yeah. you don't, you don't mm -hmm. sign up over there. No worries. You can't be trusted with the details. <laughs> um, best way to learn more is definitely historicbethlehem.org. We have all the updates. We have bios on the artists more information about the programs coming up and each one links to where you can get your tickets 
and I do encourage folks to consider donating to historic Bethlehem museums and sites when they do that because that is what helps us do these programs. So providing the resourcing and the space and the staffing and the guidance to put on events like this is not inexpensive, but it's well worth it. And I think that people will benefit from investing in their community this way. Absolutely. Yeah, I want to say also shout out to Fig Magazine yeah. <laughs> for getting it in there. You Great. know, honestly, the I've received so many messages and so many phone calls because of it mm-hmm. and i mean what a what a wonderful thing this is because people should really know about organizations such as um, you know historic bethlehem museum and sites and mm-hmm. and others and so I, I just wanted to give a shout out to to fig magazine oh, yeah. for for uh, sparking the conversation <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. they the conversation. they really do i mean they really have their finger on the pulse of the cultural mm-hmm. scene in bethlehem yeah, yeah. and and i learn a lot just from reading it and i grew up in bethlehem but you know things are changing rapidly so and there are a lot of new organizations and they do uh a very nice job and it's a beautiful magazine too like with the photography and the layout so yeah my uh my favorite photographer is on page 32 uh shout out to chris lick (laughs) he works chris Chris lick works works uh he's been on many sets uh tv productions with me but but no the rest of the magazine i i i actually um i was showing this to a title company because I, I do I do real estate as well. I work with a title company called the Settlement Company. I couldn't stop but admire like these photos, and I had to show them. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is done so well. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I know it makes me nostalgic for when I worked in in print publishing because yeah. you can't, no matter what you do with digital media, you can't exactly replicate that kind of a of a layout and. So true. I mean, my background is in is in history of books and publishing. So oh, I okay. have a soft spot for uh, any print publication. Yeah. yeah, this is great. It's wonderful. You know, when when you see print, sometimes you're like, should I advertise? But that's <laughs> that's why I told that company. You know, I told the company. Yeah. I said this is a, a great thing to advertise, yeah. and they really believe in the community. You know. Anyways, I, I really enjoyed this, <laughs> this magazine. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much for joining us, and and I would, you know, I just want to echo what you said, Lindsay, about visiting historicbethlehem.org, and please support the organization that supports the arts in your community, and of course, register for Cuba's event July thirtieth. Yes, which is July thirtieth. Yes, please, it's around the corner. You know. Because I would love if even if you've never been to a museum before, this is the this is the event to, to start learning more about your community and the things that, that are going on in your community. Because I would love for someone who's just never been to a museum mm-hmm. before or anything to go to this event and I would love for them to leave there wanting to talk about it or just write to me and say, you know what, I felt the same way and I went through these things and you know the community ha- I guess it all stems back to what we're saying here is the community has a voice right and that voice that voice is important for future generations so please come out you know enjoy the event and then I want to hear your thoughts on it and what it meant to you yeah July 30th yeah right right yeah keep the conversation going after the event yeah. exactly. it's the best way to to grow as a person and, and as a community so. absolutely Thank you again, both of you, for joining us. No, thank you. Thank Thank you you. for having us. (laughs) This was great.
We've been recording No Rain Date since late 2019, and we've produced a fair number of episodes at this point. We would love to hear your feedback about what we're doing. What makes you tune in every week? What ideas do you have for interview guests? Is there something that you think the podcast is missing? Feel free to share your thoughts, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent with us. You can do that by emailing josh at josh at com. No Rain Date is a local news and information podcast, and we focus on the Saucon Valley. However, our guests are from the Lehigh Valley and beyond. So please try and keep that in the back of your mind when you're thinking about ideas for future episodes. Thank you. No Rain Date is an original production of Sock and Source, LLC. Our theme music is provided by This Way to the Egress. For more great music by them, be sure to follow This Way to the Egress on Spotify. Thank you for listening. Every night, he climbs the tower, sees your face on every tower.